All right, let's pray and uh, get into this book, Ecclesiastes. I'm excited about this. God, thank you and praise you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your love for us, Lord. I'm just overwhelmed by, by your mercy, Lord, today, that we are forgiven and redeemed. And Lord, we're wretches and we're, we're, we're failures in so many ways, God. But your love is ever there and ever present, Lord. And I thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes, Lord, and I thank you for Solomon and his wisdom. And what we can glean from it, Lord, is that we have a desperate need for you in our hearts and in our lives. So teach us your ways, equip your saints today, God, and uh, guide us and direct us. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come, and uh, we want to have ears to hear what you would say to your church this evening. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As I'm raising my family, I've got four kids. One of the things I want to pass along to my kids is a heritage of wisdom. Um, It is my hope that as they grow and mature, and I think this is the hope of all parents, that as they grow and mature, that they would learn from me and even learn from the mistakes that I make. And my hope is, and I think your hope as a parent also is, is that they would not repeat the same mistakes that you have made. And that's really the idea of what wisdom is. It's uh, one of the ideas, as we talked about wisdom on Sunday, right? Anybody who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, we read in James chapter 1. But the idea, sometimes wisdom is learning from other people's mistakes so that you don't have to walk through them yourself. And that's really what the life, or the book, rather, of, of Ecclesiastes is all about. We get to look at Solomon the wisest man that ever lived in accordance with the scriptures. That's what the Bible would say. This man, there was, there's never been anyone, there never will be anyone smarter than Solomon. And we get to look at his journal at the end of his life. That's really what the book of Ecclesiastes is. He's opening his journal and, and putting it on page to say, this is what I have discovered in all my years and all my understanding This is what I have figured out about life. And it's such an eye-opening thing because Solomon made some mistakes. He he wrote, or he participated in the writing of three different books in the Scriptures. Early on in his life, when he was young and in love, he wrote the book Song of Solomon and, and talking about his devotion to one woman and how uh, and how the relationship, a romantic relationship in the, the, the way God would design it, was meant to be. Beautiful, poetic, wonderful book. We see as he's growing in stature and wisdom throughout his years, he participates in the writings of the Proverbs. He didn't write all of the Proverbs, but he wrote a lot of them. And we see this great wisdom that he has gleaned over the years. And then we see the book of Ecclesiastes, and we see it at the end of his life to say, all right, this is what I've figured out. This is what I've discovered. And it's very eye-opening. I did something today that um, I haven't done in almost two years. And um, it was a big step for me uh, to take. It was a big step, a a challenge for me to take. Um, I went back and listened to some of Dave's messages this afternoon, and I had not yet done that since he had passed. And I wanted to um, because Ecclesiastes was a pivotal book in, in Dave's life. This is the book that Dave got saved by. 
And, uh, and so I, I wanted to open up and, and listen to those again. And it, it, was, it was impactful. It was powerful. He taught this book in, uh, he started it January 1st, 2006. And, uh, and so it was good to, to go back and to listen to some of his stories and, and, and things like that. But it, it's so, the book so greatly impacted him as a Marine, not knowing what he was going to do with his life. It, it really shaped and directed his life toward God. And that's what this book, Ecclesiastes, really is good for. It's, if, if there are, of the 66 books, 65 of them are written to people who already have an understanding of God, who God is. Right? As we open the book, if you were just to sit down and pick up a Bible and start at the beginning, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. There's an, there's an, an understanding, even from the very first verse, that you believe in God. That you have an understanding of who God is. And really, 65 of the 66 books take that viewpoint, is to say you already know who God is. Ecclesiastes stands alone in that it's written to a person who maybe doesn't believe in God, or maybe doesn't yet believe in God. It's written to somebody who is living their life the way the majority of the world is living their life. And that is, I get up, I go to work, I live for the weekend, and if, you know, if I hit the lottery, then I, that's, that's the best thing that's ever going to happen in my life. And that's the way the majority of the, of the world lives. And Ecclesiastes meets that person right there and says, what are you doing? That's not what life is about. And the author, Solomon, knows what he's talking about. As we're going to get into chapter 2 today, we'll see exactly that he's a, he is a voice that, of authority when it comes to seeking things out in this world. So, Let's pick it up. It says in verse 1 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it says, The words of the preacher, love that, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Notice the P there is preached, or P there is capitalized in the word preacher. The words of the preacher, this is an official title that he, either he gave himself or somebody had given him. The word preacher means one who declares. And that's what he's doing here. He's making a declaration as he writes this book to, to state, hey, this is what I have discovered about life. There's a, quick, a, a, a cute little quip that says, hey, you know, um, as far as Christians go, we, we preach to the sinners and we teach the saints. Have you heard that before? We preach to the sinners, we teach the saints, you know, and, and we kind of live by that here. As, as we, we are preaching to them, we are declaring God's truth to those who are not yet saved. That's the idea of evangelism. And then those who are in the camp of God, those who are in the kingdom of God, we are here to equip them and to teach them the word of God so that they can preach, so that we all can preach to the sinner. And so it's interesting that he chooses the name preacher here as this book is kind of focused on reaching to those who are living in, for this world. It does say the son of David, so we know this to be Solomon because Solomon was the king after David. Solomon was David's son by Bathsheba. Just in case you didn't realize that, you know, David was up on the rooftop when he should have been at war. He sees this lovely lady. He's, uh, she's the wife of Uriah. He has Uriah killed. David is a murderer. 
He has Uriah killed in battle, and then he takes Bathsheba as his wife. Uh, actually, he, he took her before uh, and got her pregnant, and, and, and so that child died. But then he marries Bathsheba, and he ends up having Solomon with Bathsheba. And he is the one who God ordains to take the throne from David. What I like about this book is it tells you right up front, Solomon lays all his cards on the table. This is exactly, he, he comes to the conclusion in the second verse. He tells you who's writing it, and then the whole book is in summed up in verses 2 and 3. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun. His conclusion is vanity of vanities. And we're going to hear that phrase several times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, 12 chapters. We're going to hear it used 38 times. That what he has discovered about life is it's vain. Not vain as in I'm checking myself out in the mirror vain, but vain as in it's useless. It is unprofitable. The word literally means emptiness. Emptiness of emptiness, all is emptiness, is what he is saying. What profit has a man from all his labor? The idea of labor he's going to use 23 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And the word there, labor, doesn't mean just to get up and, and work your eight-hour shift. It, it, it's the idea of working ourselves to the bone. It's the idea of being working ourselves to the point of exhaustion. And he's saying, what's, what, even, even in that, where, where is their value? What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? So vanity of vanities, very important phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes. Under the sun, also very, very important book in the, or phrase in the book of Ecclesiastes. Under the sun is used 29 different times. And I would even say that's the key phrase of the book. Because what he's saying is, when he says, I'm talking about life under the sun, S-U-N, he's talking about existence on earth. He's looking at life as if it were just simply a physical thing. That, that all there is to life is here and now. All there is to life is this world. That's the perspective he's having at the end of his life to say that that is all vanity. If all there is is this world, then there is nothing. There is, it's emptiness. He's looking at life purely in the physical. And we need to maintain that understanding as we go throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. That he's looking at the way the majority of people look at life, right? I mean, that's the way the, the most of the world looks at life is, I just live for today. You know, if I, if I, you know, find the right relationship, if I find the right, if this person isn't good, you know, good enough for me, I'm going to move on. I'll find somebody else. If this job isn't good enough for me, if this church isn't good enough for me, if this, you know, if I'm not happy, I'm living for my happiness. And that's the way the majority of the world lives, looking just purely at this physical life. We get some clues from creation. That's where he goes next. That, this, that underneath the sun, it's vanity of vanities. It says in verse 4, One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. Right? 
Time keeps on ticking, ticking, ticking. Into the future. Right, there you go. Right, little 1979 sticks, right? That's who that was? Yeah, see? Domo arigato, mister. See? I'm there, I'm there. And all the young people are like, 19? What, what's 19? 19? You don't know me. Never mind. But time keeps moving. The earth keeps spinning as the world turns. Very soap opera-like. You guys remember the Carmen song about soap operas? Oh my gosh, that's so funny. Look it up on YouTube. Carmen, the guy that sung, did The Champion, he did a song about soap operas. Gone are the days of Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> Matt Dillon and his sidekick Festus. Now we survive on the immoral lives of those of the young and the restless. Right? So, yeah. <laughs> It's not that they're young, they're just restless, not living at all like they should. So they go to the general hospital where the doctors can't do no good. Yeah. All right, how quickly we digress. I, I heard her. I, we, in stereo, we're available. <clears throat> Life, the earth keeps spinning. Time keeps on ticking. And that's what Solomon's trying to say. Verse 5, the sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. This blue ball that we live on just keeps on spinning in the same way that it always has and will. The pattern doesn't change. It's not like we're going to wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden the sun is rising in the west or in the north, right? When the sun comes up tomorrow morning, it will be in the east. Verse 6, the wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. He's trying to show that life is, this life is purely cyclical. It's that this constant pattern that just repeats itself. We, we see that in history, right? The, the phrase is history repeats itself. It's interesting to note that there is no democracy that has ever survived two, more than 235 years. Something to consider. Um, where was I? Oh, the weather, verse 6. Weather patterns are, are, you know, so he talks about the wind. The weather patterns are spiral. What's interesting about that in Solomon is consider when he's writing. Hundreds, close to a thousand years before Christ. He didn't have Doppler radar on channel 6. But he knew the patterns of the wind. And he was right. He's right about the way the wind, that it works in a spiral, that storm patterns come in a spiral. He's exactly right. He knows about the the water system as well, the hydro system. Verse 7, all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, they return again. That's exactly how the hydro system works, right? All the, all the waters, all the rivers run into the sea. The water goes out into the sea. It evaporates there. The, the evaporation becomes storm clouds. The storm clouds move back to where the rivers began, dump the rain, and, and that's the cycle. Solomon understood that. That's just how far ahead of his time he was. And the conclusion is, nothing's new. Nothing is new. Joe Foch put it this way. Life is a parade of coffins and cradles. Love that term. We go from, right? 
It's people living, and people being born, and people dying. He, he made a joke. He's like, "Isn't it interesting that when you read the paper that uh, people die in alphabetical order?" You know, it's just. <laughs> it's like. It's not my joke. But it happens every every second of every day. Somebody's being born, somebody's dying. Somebody's being born, somebody's dying, you know? It's our li the life of the human race. It's a parade of coffins and cradles underneath the sun. Nothing is new. Verse 8, all things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Nothing satisfies is his conclusion. We, whatever we lay our eyes to, whatever we put our earbuds in and listen to, it is not ever fully satisfying. We can enjoy it for a moment, but your eyes will get hungry again. Your ears will get thirsty again. We know the phrase, right? Feast your eyes on this. Well, you do that. You feast your eyes to the point that you're, whatever you're looking upon, you're so full of, but it only satisfies for a time. It's like Chinese food. You're hungry again in an hour, right? <laughs> we're, we're, we're never satisfied. The eye is never satisfied. The ear is never satisfied. It, the eye has an insatiable appetite. Verse 9, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. So far, Solomon, you're not sounding like the wisest guy in the world because I could have figured this out. In my life before my relationship with Christ, I saw that all the time. It, there is nothing new. It is just the same thing over and over and over again. And some days you have good days and some days you have bad days. You live for the good days, you hate the bad days, and you live for the weekend. What he's saying there, nothing new is coming. Nothing is new. It's interesting to note, they discovered an Egyptian hieroglyphic. So you're looking at long time ago, 3,000 years ago. An Egyptian hieroglyphic by a university professor, somebody that taught in those days, and they translated it, and it said, my students are no good, all they do is carouse and drink beer. 3,000 years ago, all college students did was carouse and drink beer. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Go down to Fifth and or High Street in Chittenden on a Saturday night. There's nothing new under the sun. Verse 10, is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? The iPhone 6. It's already been in ancient times before us. The iPhone 6 was in ancient times before us? Well, no. But... As I listened to Dave, he actually made a very, very good point. We get so excited about the latest technology and all the computers. You know what a computer does? It counts to one. That's all a computer is. It can count to one. A trillion times a second, but that's all it's doing. And we get so excited. Oh, I got to have the watch. Oh, I got to have the... There's nothing new under the sun. Um, verse 10, 11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. 
Let's test that theory. Let me pick somebody. Dawn. <laughs> Tell me about your great great grandfather. Okay. Is there anybody in the room that could? Tell me about your great great grandfather. Bob, you might have known his name. Maybe a little bit more. Yeah. The point being, we might know, we might know, we might remember when they were born. We might remember when they have passed or where they lived, or maybe we know their name, but we really know nothing of their lives. Your great great grandchildren are going to be the same way about you. You're not going to be remembered. None of us are. And that's what Solomon is saying there in verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. The memory fades. I mean, I will tell, you know, I remember my grandfather. I will tell my kids about my grandfather and tell stories about how he was a Methodist pastor and things like that. But by the time they have kids, they're not going to be talking about my grandfather. And by the time those kids are raised, they're not going to be talking about me. You know, it's just the way life goes under the sun. We remember some names of of people, you know, throughout history that we've been introduced to, JFK or Abraham Lincoln or Alexander the Great or, you know, uh, Napoleon. But really, what do we know other than maybe a paragraph about them? How, How do you sum up a person's existence into one paragraph and do an ample job? You don't. So that's what Solomon is saying. He says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven, this burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. So the wise one here, and he was the wise one, and I'm not trying to make fun of Solomon at all. He was the wisest man to ever live. As he came into the throne, as David, David passed away and Solomon came into the throne, God had a, an intervention with Solomon, a face-to-face almost, a, a conversation to say, hey Solomon, as you are becoming king, what do you want? He's like, ask whatever you want and I will give it to you. And think about what Solomon said, he, he, what, what he could have said. I want... I want buckets of gold. I want kingdom upon kingdom. I want an army so big that we conquer the entire world. I want girls upon girls. I want, you know, horses without number. He could have said whatever he wanted. What does he say? God, I, I don't know. I don't know how to go out and come in like my father did. I'm a young man. Give me wisdom. Show me how to rule and to reign. And look what happened to Solomon. God said, right on, buddy. And he granted him the wisdom. He not only said that, I'm going to give you everything else that you would have asked for as well. And Solomon becomes the wisest man. That's, that's, that's a great truth that you and I can hold on to as you and I ask for wisdom as we learned on Sunday. God doesn't reproach us. 
He, he doesn't give with, you know, he doesn't, he pours it out lavishly upon us when we ask for wisdom. Solomon is a great example of that. And so the wise one conducts an experiment, as he says, I'm going to set my heart to seek out and search the wisdom uh, concerning all that is done under heaven. So verse 14 is conclusion. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. That's the conclusion. It's all emptiness. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. I communed with my heart, saying, look, I've attained greatness, and he had, and I have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. And that is true. And my heart understood great wisdom and knowledge. Solomon was the richest man that's ever lived. I saw something today. Did anybody have a bad day? You guys have a bad day? Okay. Today, in 1976, and I can't remember the guy's name now. Shoot. Today in 1976, one of the, the guys that had an ownership in the company, Apple, he had a 10% ownership, sold it in 1976 today for $800. We had kept it to be worth $58 billion today. Wow. <laughs> so you had a bad day? No, that guy's had a bad year, life. <laughs> Solomon, let's, you and I, let's, let's make a deal right here, right now, today. Let's learn from him. Wisdom would be that we would learn from somebody else's mistakes. Wisdom would be we would learn from somebody who's wise enough to teach us, and that is Solomon. Because he'd learn it all, let's learn from Solomon. I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and to know folly. He chased after being smart and he chased after being dumb. He was, that, he was able to do that. And foolishness, I perceived that this also is grasping for the wind. Even chasing after foolishness, madness, and folly, that's grasping for the wind. Think about that. How do you grasp for the wind? That's dumb. That's pure foolishness, right? SpongeBob and Patrick, right? You've seen, the, you've seen the episode, first season, right? What do you want to do today? I don't know. What do you want to do today? And they go and steal a balloon underwater uh, on free balloon day. And I, they're so excited. And then they decide they want to return the balloon. But what happens is they're going along, the balloon pops, right? And so all the pieces fall down onto the ground. SpongeBob panics. He picks up, can you believe I'm doing this in a sermon? I'm using SpongeBob as an example. He picks up all the pieces. And he goes, I got the balloon. And Patrick, who is Dauber from the show Coach, I can't, what's the guy's name? I can't remember the guy from, you remember Dauber, the big dumb blonde guy from the show Coach? If you don't know who Patrick is, he was Dauber. SpongeBob goes, I got the pieces. And, and, and Dauber, or Patrick goes, I got the air. <laughs> that's grasping the wind that's how dumb it is that they made on spongebob they made a joke about it because you can't do it you can't grasp the air and that's what chasing after these pursuits were to solomon foolishness lord forgive me <laughs> i beg your forgiveness as well that will never happen again so long as i live cross my heart and hope to die. 
I wrote it down and I was just like, no, do I really? It's Wednesday night. You know, me familia, you guys are my family. Bob, if you want to edit all that out, it, <laughs> fine. For in much wisdom is much grief. Amen. For in much wisdom is much grief. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. sorrow. Yep. Really? You want to get smarter? Eh. Uh, am, I, am I bashing the pursuit of college? Am I bashing the pursuit of a PhD? No. No, not at all. Whatever you need as far as education goes to do what God has for you to do, pursue that with all of your heart. But there is some truth to the phrase, ignorance is bliss. It's a simpler life. It, It truly is. We live in the information age. Did you know that the rate, that the 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 information is doubling? The information doubles every seven years. So we know today twice as much as we knew in 2008. That's exponential growth. And there's no, you know, there's never been more depression. There's never been more suicides. There's never been more, you know, ADHD. There's never been more sorrow there's never been more grief than the world we live in today because what he says is true increasing knowledge increases sorrow chapter two in my heart now you know what i want to do chapter two justice so i'm actually going to cut early up to you guys you want you want to stick around 15 minutes late 8.30, everybody, huh, we'll do what? What? Do it justice. Chapter 2 is really, really good. I'm going to hold off till next week. Huh? Quality over quantity. That's that's wisdom. That's why I keep you around. <laughs> what what more could you ask for? <laughs> All right, we'll do chapter two next week. Yeah, chapter two is really, really, it's really, really important to see all that Solomon, how far he tested everything. It's really, really good. So, so we'll hold off. All right, let's stand. Let's close in prayer. That was a mess. Oh my goodness. <laughs> pray for you. (laughs) Lord, thank you and praise you. (laughs) Thank you for fun with family, Lord. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And Lord, maybe we need to make it a little bit lighter because what Solomon is saying is actually quite depressing for those who don't know you. Because that's all this life is, is vanity of vanities outside of you. But the conclusion Solomon comes to, and we'll just call it a spoiler alert for for those that haven't read the book, is that in you is life. In you is hope. In you, all that we do finds its worth. 
Thank You for that truth. Thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your mercy. And we do say, as we sang earlier, here is my heart, Lord. Have Your way. Have Your way in our lives, O God. God, I thank You for this time. And I pray, Lord, that we would draw close to You. I praise You for this this church, and I praise You for these people. Lord, just uh, continue to guide and direct us. Fill us with Your hope. Lord, we know that there's a day coming when You're going to return. And while Solomon was saying, there's nothing new under the sun, there's a day coming when You will make all things new. And we will be in Your presence for all eternity. And that's because of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we praise You. And we give you glory. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.